Did you know we spun off Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon from the Ringer NBA show onto their own podcast? It's called The Mismatch. It runs on Tuesdays and Fridays every week, only on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you've side hustled your way to playoff tickets, auctioned off those vintage jerseys or started a sports podcast of your own, hey, you're like me, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network where we have a new rewatchables going up tomorrow night. It is Neighbors. Oh yeah, Seth Rogen, Zac Efron. Was this the last funny comedy of the 2010s? The last truly funny one? We're gonna break that down in a whole lot more. It's going up on Monday night. Don't forget, I also recap the challenge double agents with my old friend Dave Jacoby on Wednesday nights on Ringer Dish. Right after the episode ends, come listen to us on Ringer Dish. Every Wednesday night, only a few episodes left. Coming up, Ryan Russell and I are going to hit a whole bunch of NBA stuff first. Pearl Jam! All right, taping this a little after 7.30 Pacific time on Sunday night, just watch Clippers-Nets on ESPN. A thrilling game. Really kind of enjoyed it. There haven't been a lot of like super fun night games this year, but that was a good one. Ends with uh, Harden somehow getting a call on a Kawhi drive, offensive foul. Oh, the irony. Um, before we, we want to talk about the Clippers start this, but before we do that, we have to mention here, Rosillo, this Brooklyn thing, they're they're running the table on this road trip. And as you know, nothing I love more for potential in the playoffs than a team that goes on the road, takes care of business. They beat Golden State, Sacramento, Phoenix. They beat a, a no Davis Lakers team. And then they beat this Clippers team here. 5-0 and on the trip. Are you buying? Are you buying the Nets right now? No Durant for four of those games too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not only this run... But I believe they're the only team that has a winning record against the West that's in the East. Mm. Brooklyn is now with the Pacers. I mean, this is a joke when you look at the Eastern Conference standings, which is something we've touched on before. But only the Pacers, the Nets, have a winning record on the road. And so sometimes when you look at some of these East records, especially a few weeks ago, you could go, wait, this team hasn't played anybody in the West Coast yet. And here goes Brooklyn with this defense that I still think is a concern and no Durant, their best defensive player, and they're beating really good teams. Yeah, and I think... 
Kyrie's playing as well as I can remember him playing since that. Remember that when the Celts, what did they start out? 16 and 0, that his first Celtic stretch right after Hayward got hurt and they're playing it. And Kyrie was basically just carrying them and doing everything. He seems like he's in that mode again. I love the way Harden's playing. As frustrating as it is that uh, how the Houston thing ended, still don't feel like he's in great shape. But um, what I've noticed with them, the last five minutes of games, when those guys are playing hard, they're not going to be playing hard 48 minutes a game, you know, for six straight months. But they they can turn it up to at least a decent level. And then you get in the situation where you have to outscore them. And just eye test as I'm watching it, I always feel like they're going to outscore whoever they're going against. And this is even without KD today. You just look at Kyrie and Harden together and you're like, all right, when these guys are going, this is really hard. It's really hard to match points. So Durant wasn't even out there. And this is what I was arguing with Barkley about on Tuesday. I still think their ability in those last five minutes of whatever to just be like, all right, do whatever you want. We're scoring when we have it is really dangerous. And I think it's the most dangerous thing anything, anything anyone has going right now. Yeah, I mean, that's really what you're always looking for is, is some level of efficiency from guys that can create and get their own shot. And they have three of the best in the league all on the same team. It's, it's, it's stupid. So when I worry about the defense, you know, I'll give you some quick overall numbers. Overall defensively on per 100 possessions, Brooklyn's 26th. In the stretch from when they got hardened before this winning streak, they were 30th. And then we dug into some of those fourth quarter numbers where their offense was like uncharted waters and the defense was so bad it was uncharted. Since this run, February 10th, I don't have the Clippers numbers in there. They're 21st, but the defense around the league has gotten worse in February than it was in January. There's a bunch of reasons, effort, COVID, all of these things that we can point to. But their defense doesn't really need to be any better than average. And one of the things that I worried about with Houston when they went small was... It wasn't so much the defenses. They couldn't rebound. And yeah. the rebounding for Brooklyn is passable. Actually, the Clippers are the ones who couldn't get a defensive board to close this one out. DeAndre with that putback when they tied it up, that, that shot was like the shot of the game in a way. So to see Harden be able to facilitate with non-Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker's in the corner, figuring out what Westbrook is going to do. Clearly, he and Chris Paul, even though they won a million games, you could see they still kind of were doing their own thing. This is Harden, who's the, one of the best passers in the league. He's been a great passer his whole career, but I think now more people are seeing it that maybe turned off Houston or just don't watch games out of their own time zone. To see him orchestrating all this stuff now, it's, it's scary. So they just need to be average defensively. But I wonder, again, about certain matchups, and that's you know another conversation against other big teams in the playoffs. I mean, I watch way too much Celtics, and it's so hard for the Celtics to score when things slow down, especially in the fourth quarter, and it just becomes your turn, my turn. And it's, you saw in the Pelicans today, it's Tatum making these, you know, amazing shots with the guy draped all over him. The ease with which the Nets get some of these baskets because of how gifted those guys are. Like, they have enough movement. It's not like what Houston was like, where it was four guys standing around watching Harden. I do feel like people are moving around and more things are happening and people are curling around stuff or somebody's getting the ball and they're actually moving versus just throwing them the ball. And you give those guys a step. And I just think it's really hard to play. You saw with the Clippers today, the Clippers are allegedly a good defensive team. And it's really easy for the Nets to get what they want. So anyway, look, it's early. Health is going to matter. But um, I still feel like they have by far the highest ceiling in the East. And I would be surprised if it's not Nets-Lakers. I really would. All right. You'd be surprised. And look, if the East is is Brooklyn. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised. But I think there's a difference between 
Like, here's a good example. I, I don't know if Nash did it, but I, I tweeted about it. I think Nash called a timeout very early in an offensive possession when Zubac was in, and they were like, hey, let's abuse this guy. Let's get him caught in the middle. Let's, and you know what it reminds me a little of is some of the stuff that Houston was doing was Capella was there. Where when, yeah. when Harden and Capella were doing, you know, I'm either going to float it or lob it to you, you're, you're fucked. You just, you just are because Harden's so good. And because he's big enough to kind of ward you off of him on top of everything else, he's got every floater down. He's got all that stuff. And his passing is so good. And then when they tried to just go super small, they got rid of that as, you know, obviously trading Capella and just opening everything up. So it reminds me of some of that Houston stuff. But there's a difference between a Zubach, who, again, the Clippers ended up taking out in the second half because I think that was part of it. I also think the league is so perimeter-based that we'll see bigs cut and they'll have their hands up, and the perimeter guy with the ball is like, wait, you think I'm passing it to you? <laughs> what is this, 08? Like, we, don't, we don't do that. To, and you can see Biggs just be like, oh, what stupid me, thinking I was going to get it on a seal. And you can try to do some of that stuff, but I would still think, and we'll get to Philly at some point, I'm sure, I would still think like a real big guy that's 35 minutes, 80 touches a game is a prop. Like I still think Embiid presents a problem to that front line, unless they just outscore him, and then it doesn't matter. Here's Ben Connor, and this is what I said to Barkley five days ago. Let's just pencil in Embiid for 37 a game in that series. I'll give it to you right now. I still don't think it matters. I still think they would have trouble matching points. Now, I'm saying this off of what Embiid did on Friday night, which is the highest level I've seen him go in that Bulls game, which you watch that game, right? Yeah, I, we have to do some Embiid stuff at some point here. Because I, yeah, we'll he, we'll save that for, I right. guess we could do that. Uh, we have a little hodgepodge section later, but what he was doing in the fourth quarter that it was like watching somebody who's like, oh, I've solved the new level of a video game. So exactly. yeah, could he score against Brooklyn like that? He could. But the problem is he's he's like a guy in a bar fight who's fighting three guys, not one guy. Yeah, he's on the same level offensively as Kyrie and KD and Harden, but they have these two other guys who can also do it. Uh, we'll talk about him in a second. Let's shift to the Clippers quick. So they're 22 and 10 this season. Last year, they're 44 and 20 in the uh, pre-bubble. We know what happens in the bubble. Heading in this game, they're fourth in scoring. They were making 14.2 threes a game heading into tonight, 42%. On three, which you would think like, if you just told me that, I would have been like, oh my God, are they like 30 and five? What's their record? They're getting good seasons out of Kawhi and George, basically 53 combined. Um, same kind of rebounds, assist numbers. They're both shooting really well. George is almost, he's almost a 50, 50, 90 guy. He's close. And yet you saw it again tonight. They're the worst team in the league in clutch minutes. Um, that was heading into today. Their defensive rating in uh, clutch, which is defined as last five minutes within five points, their defensive rating was 131.9. I also thought this was interesting. They're second in pace in clutch. They almost don't know how to go slow, half court, let's find your shot. And you saw it again tonight. Once, once it turned into a last five minutes of the game situation, I thought I didn't think they were going to win. I just didn't think they had enough. Um, what do you see from this team? Because it's one thing to be a good regular season team, but is this a team that you think could win four straight series in a row? Because I would say no. There's definitely a negative hangover for them because of what happened last year, and I've been talking about it before the season even started. I'm like, look, everybody's way too off of them. And coming into this game, they were 16-3, and three, now 16-4 and four with Kawhi and Paul George in the lineup. And George is playing arguably his most efficient hoops with less shot attempts, and the passing is incredible. All the offensive numbers, the shooting stuff, it's all right there. They're actually behind Brooklyn in a few of those categories where Brooklyn's number one in the league. But 
I I don't like, you know, when I say they didn't look prepared tonight, because this podcast would be completely different. We were doing it 24 hours ago, by the way, them beating the Jazz and looking really good. So it I'm trying huge, not to... Huge yeah. win over the Jazz. Yeah, it was this, a great one. By the way, so much of this podcast would be different if we did it Saturday night as opposed to Sunday night. The Celtics and some of the other yeah. stuff, too. So I don't want to freak out about it. And I dig into the fourth quarter stuff, too. So I wonder, you know, if you're counting almost 10 games without those guys in the lineup, how much do you put into some of that stuff? But they just... It's like, look, Brooklyn's going to switch. But switching everything can make you stale offensively. You can start to go ISO a little bit. It's almost like they had to remind themselves to get a Baca and some seals. They didn't really get him going until the second half because he wasn't great in the first half. I would love to see them play Brooklyn again tomorrow night to see if they looked like they were more up for it. And even that, in the fourth quarter, I'm like, this game just feels flat. And again, you know, the circumstances are part of that too. But they're back in it and tied, and that felt weird, right? Like, you guys just haven't been the better team, and now you have a chance to win this thing. So... I don't think that they were really prepared to attack Brooklyn defensively the way I would have thought a team this talented normally would be. Well, I'm not sure they have the right team to attack them defensively. Because the, the thing that struck me in this game was you have the Harden-Kyrie backcourt, which the more... I, I actually really enjoy watching Brooklyn. I hate to say it. I wish that wasn't the case, but I just love basketball. I really like watching those guys play together. And you think, like, on the one hand, you have... Kyrie and Harden, two of the most gifted offensive players we have in the league. And on the other side, you have I don't know, pick two, Patrick Beverly, um, Lou, Lou Trick-or-Treat Williams, uh, Luke Kennard, who didn't play tonight, Reggie Jackson, who didn't play tonight, whatever. It's, it's, he was it's in for a little bit. But, yeah, yeah, whatever. Mediocrity across the board on the Clippers' backcourt. I just think the Nets are a terrible matchup for them. But I also think the Lakers are a terrible matchup for them if Davis is Davis. I don't think that's a good thing either. So basically, the two teams they need to beat, I think, this season, I don't think they match up well with. And that would really concern me. Here's the other thing. You know, they did that Canard trade, which was pretty weird. They they had the Shamit asset. Brooklyn wanted Shamit. Detroit was fired up to get rid of Canard and get the number 19 pick for him. And then the Clippers end up getting Kennard and gave him, I think, $64 million. And he's been pretty inessential for them. You know, he's been like a 10th man. He's basically been what Peyton Pritchard is for the Celtics. And now they're out of moves because they paid him, they paid Morris. I don't even really know how you make this team better unless you try to do Lou Williams and try to take back somebody else's problem. This is kind of their team. If you If you could fix the team, what would you do? Well, I think all of us sit here and go, you have to worry about the Lakers if you're one of these teams in this, this yes. tier of of the NBA. And so what you're asking is, hey, do you have a mobile big who can keep on the court and can also score? <laughs> right. Know, it's like, oh, good luck. You know, like who who's that guy? You know, I'm I hate to sound like I'm pro canard, but I, I think the argument canard over somebody like Shamit. Although contract looks bad now. And look, he missed what was Wednesday's game. He was cleared Friday. He had the knee. So maybe that's part of it too. And by it's the way, pretty, the other... uh, pretty up and down though for him this season. Right. Even though I, the, the stats look a little better than what it's actually been like. Yeah, you're right. Because the, the like some of the traditional stuff, you're like, oh, he's been hitting shots and all that stuff. I, I think the argument for Kennard was that he could actually do more and put the, I just like guys that don't have to be glued to the floor. Like the only thing you can do is st- sit in the corner and never yeah. move, and if you have to dribble more than twice, you're lost. I think Kennard can do more of those things. But between that and the Morris contract, which was a bird rights thing where they basically had to do that just to keep the asset in place, mm. which kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> strong strong <laughs> use of the word asset. 
<laughs> right, but it's it's how do we play, replace this at any kind of number? Look, I'm I'm not the biggest Marcus Morris guy. It's well documented, but I also understand the the rationale behind it. I don't know that there's this fix unless you know they wanted Chris Paul, you know, before the season started. But Chris Paul's like, look, there's no there's no way this fits. Like, there's yeah. no way you fit my salary into what you're trying to do here, and it doesn't work. So to add this next big piece. You know, I don't know what that is. I like when they tried to get, it was like, we want Chris Paul. It's like, okay, great. I'm sure you do. It's like, I was, I, I was to blame for that one because I was telling people on your podcast, I'm like, I know that Kawhi reached out to him. And by the oh, time it I got out, they were it was, interested. It was it just was a month possibility. Yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. it's cap wise. There was no way it would have, it would have been like, if I was like, yeah, we really want a coward. But, you know, he he wanted to stay at Fox and start, it's like you were never getting coward. Like you're never getting Chris Paul. And it was never on the table. I, I couldn't believe people were like, oh, how's it going to work? I wonder who's in the deal. Uh, they're not getting him. They're stuck with Beverly. They're stuck with Lou Williams, who is the really, as has documented here a bunch of times, one of the worst playoff performers for what his skill set is really the last 30 years. And I look at their crunch time. And you look at the different lineups, they're like, okay, what is their best five? They're going down in flames. It's a game six. They're down 3-2 in a series. What five guys are out there to try to save the season? Here are your choices. So Kawhi and P PG, Ibaka, Batum and Beverly? Kawhi and PG, Ibaka, Morris and Williams? Kawhi and PG, Morris, go small at the five, Batum and Williams? Like you start moving those other pieces around and it's like, I don't like any of these jigsaw puzzle pieces. I don't know who their best five it is. And as I've said to you many times over the years, it's hard for me to back a team when I don't know what their best five is. And I don't know what it is. Eventually, I think it's Morris, Ibaka, Kawhi, George, and Beverly. Um, do you like because, that five? Because I don't. Do I like it better than other fives? No, but I like that better than, you know, Batum, we both have to admit, and I don't think we were wrong in the beginning of the year. He looked like I a guy can't. in a pickup game. I'm not game. doing it. It's like Dwight yeah. Well, he's been year. better. Look, no, he's been I'm better. He's been no, better than we thought no, he was going to no, be. No, 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 I don't hear you. All right. Um, but I don't think you'd expect him to be in a closing situation in a playoff game. Well, you saw what happened today. Minute left, down four, wide open three from the corner. Nick Batum, did you think it was going in? I didn't. Didn't go in. How about when Lou Williams, Grant, I think they're down four at that point after Harden hit the free throw and he brings it up and it's like, you threw it to Terrence Mann in the corner for three? which was going to take longer than you pulling up and hitting a three, and then he got abused a couple times defensively again, which is going to happen. I would think you would, even though Brooklyn switches everything, I would think you would try to find a way, If and again, it's not like if the Clippers are playing him in the NBA Finals, so something went right, which you know is all part of the Davis thing because it's basically like, I, I swear to God, I've seen Anthony Davis' whole career, and I feel like every third game, he's limping and kind of looking up at somebody and walking towards a tunnel. Um, and I love the guy. And so, you know, they'll take their time with him because the Lakers are the only team I give the benefit of the doubt to out of the entire league. But there's there's just it's you know, what what are you you're asking me to solve something where I, I think if we talked about them after beating Utah Friday, you're like, look, Kawhi and Paul George are at another level and other guys are hitting shots around them. They're this great shooting team and they're good to go. I, I just felt like they were totally off tonight. And then the Paul George part where he gets them back into this in his fourth quarter, and then they had to sit him. They had to sit him to close the game. Yeah, what why did they do that? Didn't, I don't know. It wasn't like he understand. went in the back. So he was leaning against the table there and then 
you know, all mm. the announcers are kind of like, what's going on? They didn't know if it was a minutes restriction to bring him back. You know, the Clippers are like a better version of the Celtics, where the Celtics, I feel like, are in year three of never having the same group together for a month. And it's really frustrating. The Celtics should be better than this. I don't want to turn this into the full Celtics podcast, as I know everybody's worried already as I'm doing this. But the Clippers have a little bit of that in them. They've just been better. Where you go, you know, I'd love to see you guys together for six weeks. I had that written down. They're rich man Celtics. Yeah. All the same issues, but kind of just better. The three through 12 is better, but the same kind of issue, right? They're, they revolve around these two guys who are having great years. I don't really trust anybody else. I And they have the same issue where you mentioned you thought it was Kawhi, PG, Abaka, Morris, Beverly. So that was your pick for their five. The ball's not moving with those five. Beverly is in a corner. Morris, ball stopper galore. Abaka's not moving. And then it's just Kawhi and PG going one-on-one, much like the Celtics problem with Tatum and Brown, where, you know, with Kemba, the way he's playing, they really don't have anybody who can kind of attack the paint and create a shot for anybody except these two guys, and the, everybody else knows it. I think that's a real issue for the Clippers. So maybe you're right. Maybe Kennard, as weird as this sounds, is the X factor for them. Because that's they need him to actually be a crunch time guy who can give them that little something weird, something different. I don't know. But they have, I think they have moved the ball though at, at times. I mean, when you look at the George playmaking and the Kawhi playmaking that's always steady, I mean, George, it feels a little bit like nothing's as bad as the Bills. But to remind younger listeners, when the Bills would make the Super Bowl after year two, it was like, oh, the Bills are in it. Like people were so pissed at them for being in the Super Bowl again. And getting to the Super Bowl is more of an accomplishment than anything that this Clippers group has done. Yeah, but no one cares about anything Paul George has done during the regular season until we see it in the playoffs. You know, we're just—it won't matter what he's doing. It, it, he could get MVP votes, and it won't matter. And he's been terrific, and he was the reason why this game even got close again. Yeah, but none of it is going to matter because everybody remembers how last year ended and other failures in closeout games. He is uh, the fall guy if they don't do anything this year. They sign him that giant deal, and they will trade him. Um, the Batum thing. Before <laughs> it just, I don't know why this annoys me. I don't know why I get annoyed for other fan bases who really don't even care. But his season last year, or his last two, but especially last year, where he shoots 28% from three, he plays 23 minutes a game, um, just looked out of shape, lazy, didn't give a shit. The year before, same thing. And then this year, now he's engaged, re engaged, I should say. And the irony is Charlotte's pretty good. You know, I think they're a playoff team. They have a chance to actually win their division, which me, Sal, and House bet on like four weeks ago at like five to one. So we've been like rooting them and following them. I was even excited they won that stupid game last night. Batum would help them. He's he, like the way this version of Batum. I wonder is how many people know what the division is. Like if you ask the hardest core NBA guy to go over all the divisions, you'd be like, wait, what? What was this again? They have like a game and a half lead over Miami. And the funny thing is Washington's only three back. Washington, who is dead? And now Washington was like five and 15 and two games out of the playing game. Right. And I was like, yeah, no, playing game. Awesome, guys. So I just instinctively want to root against Batum's success because when somebody's making 26 million a year and like, hey, I'm good. I'm not going to try this year. It's just, it's a tough one. And you can get away with it in Charlotte because they have like one guy covering the team. We didn't but, factor in the Boris Diaw connection because Boris Diaw did the exact same thing. 
And I don't know if it's uh, an international thing where they're making fun of us over there and like, you know, pro Serie A where they're like, yeah, these American teams, they pay you and then you can just quit and then you get healthy and then you go somewhere else to start playing hard again. Be like, you should do that. That's what I did when I went to San Antonio. Be like, ah, oh, good call. So you, that Utah game, I agree with you. That was a big win. And of also course it because, was. Well, because it was the the back to back, you know, it's like the team got you the first time you got it. But they did do a gimmick thing that I've been dying for anyone to try against Utah, where they played Morris as the small ball five and tried to lure Gobert out and pull him away from the basket, which is like, I thought we solved the Gobert thing a couple of years ago with this, where just like go small, bring him out of the basket. He gets completely flustered. And now I think maybe it's because we have more big guys now. Utah's allowed to play him. And it was fun to watch the Clippers try to turn the Gobert thing on them. And it worked. Um, you know, the Lakers aren't going to do that because it's to their benefit to play Anthony Davis and, you know, whatever. It's It, it was a, oh, it's a great thing call just for them. Call. But I just enjoyed it. And I, I don't understand why more teams don't do that against like a really superior Utah team this year. Well, I'm not going to write off Utah because of that game because I, I just feel I'm not like writing them off. They, I'm just like, why not do that gimmick? If you're whoever, if you're like Golden State, like fucking play Eric Pascal at center. What do you care? <laughs> You know, because <laughs> you're not going to get one rebound, right? Well, so but you're pulling Gobert away at least. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I like I like chicanery. I like basketball chicanery. With, okay, but haven't we talked teams. about about the the big where it feels like unless you're one of the top top guys, there are just we we've talked about this for years. I feel like there are moments where in one game it plays out that it's it's not working and they they have to like take a big guy out. And then another time, however, the ball is going, you know, just however the, the basketball gods, those 48 minutes, it can seem like not every game is played out the exact same way. So I'm not I'm not disagreeing you necessarily. I guess I don't want to seem any like anti Gobert because he's been so much more into it this year. And Agreed. he's he's like a, he's reminding us again of why we all got excited about him in the first place. And the team across the board is like every player is better except for like one guy. That team's really good. And to beat them on certain nights, you're going to have to do weird stuff against them because they play really well together and they know what they're doing. We're going to take a break. We're going to do the You're Out of Excuses All-Star Team. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah. All they need is an hour. 
I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. All right. I made a list of people who I think are out of excuses. And you might have a couple for yourself. We'll make this the February edition of the Year Out of Excuses All-Star Team. I need a ruling though. Are the Clippers, are they out of excuses? Because, you know, even I had Chris Haynes on Thursday and he made a really passionate uh, case that the Clippers were really fucked up by the bubble. And it's like, you know, they were certain teams, people that were really, really profoundly affected in there and they were one of them. And he expects them to be different this year. It's like, okay. But if they're not okay, they're out of excuses. Who else is out of excuses? I'm going to give you James Harden. Awesome situation. Having another great offensive season. Got out of that Houston deal. He's got help. He's in a weaker conference. Everything is set up for him to make the finals. If he doesn't make the finals this year, I think he's out. I think he's out of excuses. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought we'd already addressed this with Harden. Um, so you're right. It, it changes everything. Where if he were still with Houston, I'd be like, why are we even doing this topic? Um, but with Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't like what's what's the argument for him? Is it, it did an unbelievable Philadelphia run where defensively they find a way to lock this team up, which just seems impossible, and they just destroy him on you know, they get comfortable after two games where they know all the rotations and they know what the switching that this is how we're gonna beat you all the time. We're gonna set up something away from him beat. I want to run some Harden numbers by you. Give me because give it to me. Harden. <laughs> do you know what his career three point percentage is? Isn't it like 35? You're good. He's 36% for his career, all right? Houston, the last few years, 35, 36, 37, somewhere around that. With the Nets, he's 41%. Small sample, understood. For his career in the playoffs with Houston, he's 32%. Last year, Harden was 102 from three-point range. So part of it can be the burden of the offense where he had to take so many shots. I also think he could probably clean up a few of them here or there. But now he doesn't take any of those shots. So it's not that he's the 102nd best three-point shooter. That'd be an absurd thing to say. But there's a significant decline in the playoffs. And now looking at this bump with the Nets, I wonder if we'll see him in the playoffs because he doesn't have to take so many. He doesn't have to... The burden is not there anymore. He's got to be like north of 37% in the playoffs because he's just had some awful shooting performances, awful playoff seasons where you go, look, if this is what you're going to run and you're this guy and we're putting you up there historically with other offensive players, you have to be better. You can't be like 29% for a playoff year from right. three. And with Houston, he was at 32% in playoff games. So, yeah, with this well, setup. I always, I always felt like with like the situation he was in with Houston or when you see, especially the 2000s had a lot of teams like this, right? The Gilbert Arenas and the Wizards, LeBron and the Cavs, Pierce and the Celtics, where it's like, they really basically only have one good guy. You figure one out of every 10 threes is a terrible end of the shot clock three, right? So when we did, we say he's 36%, all right, we're five of those hundred threes, the offense broke down and he got the ball dumped back to him, whatever. And maybe on the nets, that doesn't happen anymore. And that's the difference. 
could yeah, be it's that, a small that, number. It's yeah. a small number, but it's yeah. the difference between 36 and 41 is five out of 100 threes that you missed because of some weird circumstance. All right, we agree. James Harden's out of excuses. How about Mike Malone? Absolutely. They don't defend again. Um, the, the, the whole they got after- torched tonight by Atlanta. Torched. Torched. Just every time I looked up, just layups. And, you know, they don't, they didn't defend that well last year, I don't think, during the regular season. And it's crazy what new playoff success can mean for a franchise because you're like, all right, Denver, ready to take the next step. But, you know, those of us that watched all of these games, and that's why we can take it so personal sometimes, when Jamal Murray turned into Superman, against Utah, and then over the course of the playoffs, you're like, man, is this is this who he's going to be? They're like, nope. And it was absurd what he was. So, I don't know. They don't they don't defend. They've, they've had some, like Gary Harris was missing time. P.J. Dozier was out. So, they're playing, you know, Hampton. They're, they're playing some new guys. The draft pick from Arizona, they've, they've had in there a little bit more. But I just thought, like, fundamentally, they would defend a little bit better with Malone. I think that's kind of what people think, and they don't. Other thing with them, you know, last year's team, at least in the first half of the season, had Jeremy Grant and Malik Beasley on it. And Jeremy Grant, well-documented what he's doing in Detroit. I mean, he's having a, a good good stats, bad team season galore. But was still an asset. And then the Malik Beasley thing, they, they basically... I never really totally understood the mechanics behind it, but I think they were thinking, well, we're going to have to pay him next year and we're not going to be able to do it, so we might as well trade him now and we'll get pick or whatever. And, and it seemed like they basically betting on Monte Morris and Will Barton and Will Barton, who they're already, who they didn't have last year. And now you look at, you know, granted Minnesota stinks, but you watch Beasley on league pass some nights, that guy's a really good scorer. You know, they, they effectively gave him away. And I wonder, you know, the construction of this team, those two, those two moments specifically where you just lose assets. Um, That's not helping, but at the same time, I'm with you. I think uh, it it doesn't make sense that this Denver team almost looks it's another version of the Celtics Clippers things we were talking about, where it's like two guys, and then they're just kind of crossing their fingers for everybody else in the roster. Have you Porter is not on the year out of excuses All Star team, but uh, you're one of the biggest Porter fans. Where are you right now? No, it hasn't been great. You know, it it hasn't. I think is it support group level yet or no? No, I, I think it's a tough offense to play in when you're the third guy. It just is. Yeah. So, you know how much of the action is Murray and Jokic? And they did some cool stuff in, in one of the games recently because I was like, oh, they're doing like a side thing where they're setting it up on the side off of that instead of the high screen roll. And look, I think all these teams do a little bit more than we probably would realize when we'll say, oh, they run the same thing over and over again. But then when Will Barton has it, he's just going to go. They're getting Gary Harris back. I mean, they, you know you're paying Jokic. You're paying Murray. They paid Harris a ton. They wanted to pay Grant. Um, you know, Porter's still a guy that ends up getting paid at some point. Harris not being enough offensively, I think, really kind of set them back um, as a team. And, you know, maybe that was Grant's whole point. Because, like, when I heard the $61 million for Grant, I was like, whoa. Because, I mean, he's somebody who had a 40-minute game against the Jazz in the playoffs, zero rebounds, and, like, another 38-minute game against him, one rebound. Uh, he's had 35 playoff games. 17 of them have been less than 10 points. And it blows my mind that Grant can dribble into his offense and some of the playmaking he makes. But I also go like, what do you want to do as a franchise if Jeremy Grant's taking 20 shots a game? Although everybody takes 20 shots a game. Well, we know what you want to do. You want to go five and 25 yeah, or whatever exactly. the record is. Yeah. Right, right. You want, you want to lose games. But 
you know, the grant loss, I don't think it'd be pinned on all of this stuff. I feel like the playoffs may have been a little bit more misleading because you you can't both be incredibly impressed with Denver and then monumentally disappointed with the Clippers. Don't you have to be a little bit more one than the other? Well, I'll even throw this at you. Let's say Mike Conley's shot goes in in game seven. Exactly. I mean, look. Then that they're um, they're trading for James Harden, or at least they're in the James Harden sweepstakes with Murray uh, a month and a half ago. You're out of excuses. Danny Ainge. Let's try not to make this more than two minutes, but, um, you know, you made a lot of moves the last six, seven years, and now I'm looking at a roster that has Tatum and Brown and Smart and a bunch of role players. Keep going. You, this is you. I'll, I'll let you go, and then I'll. I'll... Well, I'll say this: twenty-seven point five million dollar trade exception. This is their last chance to get somebody good or get two good players, two upgrades, whatever. Um, from a free agent standpoint, they're not going to have the money. So if they don't figure out what to do with this exception at some point during the season, that then then basically you're crossing your fingers and hoping Kemba Walker comes back. I've watched a lot of Kimball Walker this year. Any good defense he cannot score against. He has he's had six, seven, eight horrendous games where he, he when I say horrendous, like where he's like five for 19, three for 17, four for 18. And it's not like like Kyrie missed a three late in the game today, uh, where he just missed it. It hit the back rim and came out, you know, and he missed it. It's a, in the play-by-play sheet. It's a miss. Kemba's missing threes that are wide open that are going like right and left that are like almost hitting the backboard first. He has no confidence at all offensively anymore. And then when, you know, like he, he lights up the Hawks, you know, and you get to go the worst offensive, right. worst defense is like, oh, Kemba's back. Here we go. And it's like, hey, is he? Because when every time I've seen him against a de- good defense, I see a guy who can't get to the rim anymore, and his shot is just all over the place. I thought it, I thought Steven should have benched him today um, and played Pritchard in the OT because at least Pritchard, you know, could have attacked the basket. But anyway, I think Ainge, they haven't won a title since 2008. It was 13 years ago. Uh, the Tatum-Brown trade that, you know, they made in the summer of 2013, that was eight years ago. And at some point, you are who you are as Bill Parcells once said, and he needs to figure out what to do with that trade exception and needs to figure out how to make this team a contender. The East is not good. There's three good teams in the East and Milwaukee. I'm not even sure is that good. So there's a, there's a top four spot waiting for this team to have the talent. The overreaction would be wait till Marcus Smart comes back. They've lost some dumb games. Um, but from what I've seen, I've seen a coach that doesn't really have a handle on his roster and a roster that was poorly constructed. I'll start with the Kemba thing because first of all, you don't have any choice. So to say you bench no him, you can't. I, you know, I, I know you've hinted at it before, and we, we've talked about some of his struggles. But you know, he had a really good game, I thought, against the Clippers. Um, I thought he was good in the Toronto game. The Washington overall numbers are good. That Washington game should never be a positive for anybody that ever wears green because that was an absolutely horrendous loss a week ago. Um, you know, they, they beat Denver. He, he lights up Atlanta, but he was bad. He was bad in big, big spots. He was fumbling the ball against New Orleans today. I mean, that's New Orleans' biggest comeback in team history. 
Uh, and it was, and it was a totally team that looked like they were quitting on, on themselves during that game where you watch yeah. it going. I texted you at one point. I was like, we got to do Pelicans today. Like something's wrong with this team. And there still might be something wrong with that team, <laughs> right. by the way. So, you know, to go, Hey, Pelicans are fixed. Although it could be a season defining kind of win Maybe. because it's historic. And they changed up with a smaller lineup with going Melly and opening things up for Zion, which I think is a no brainer. Anytime you like why you wouldn't let Zion get started offensively with the ball in his hands further away. He just destroys people. So, all right. So back to the Celtics part of it, the Kemba thing, you have no choice because you've got to figure it out with Kemba. Cause if you don't figure out with Kemba, you don't have a chance anyway. They shouldn't be 15 and 15. I, I still think as we said at the top, this is year three of going, oh, who's in? Oh, who's out? It's it's unbelievable. I think it's bad luck with Hayward. You know, you can talk about pre-existing conditions with Kemba, but nobody was upset when Rozier went to 51 million for Charlotte and Kemba ended up coming here to Boston and people feeling like something was salvaged in an impossible situation post Kyrie and everyone would have sign Hayward. And if Hayward were going to play like this, maybe he would have gotten every single dollar out of Boston to stick around in the first place. And then when you talk about lack, like there's just a lot of misses later in the first. I'm not going to argue for it. I'd still rather have a GM that knows the Tatum pick better than anybody else that has the balls to take Jalen. I'd rather have you, you know, invest well in your 401k than be a good tipper one night out. You know what I'm saying? So like the bigger picture stuff, Ainge seems to be much better with. But this team just is so like they're 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 all over the place defensively at times the bench somehow is worse which you know Teague actually scored a little bit last year and it's terrible Tristan takes like an hour to make a decision and then he decides to barrel you over and he actually <laughs> scores I can't believe people aren't flopping against him a little bit more but you said it last year this is probably the best window for them to get out of the east and you were right last year was yeah yeah, yeah. last year right so when I ask you out of excuses, like, what do you think? Changes? Do you think changes should be in order if, if well, they're outside this. of the top four seed or something? I thought, I didn't think they should do this last year because I actually liked having Thompson at $9 million versus what the Indiana offer was because they could have had Turner and McDermott. Now watching the Pacers this year and seeing those guys on the Pacers, I'd rather have those guys in the trade exception. I wish they had gotten those guys. I think they'd be better. Think they'd have a better team. They really miss Hayward. It's really crazy. And even even hobbled up and down Hayward when he was out there. At least the ball moved a little bit more. At least he knew where to go and what to do. Okay. All right. You, you know? sure though? Remember, remember when he couldn't make a layup in the playoffs I, and how, listen, how mad you Dr. Yeah. Bill was not happy. No. Even that guy, they miss more than the swings they have this season. It's just this never-ending rotation of of swings who can't really do anything other than run to a spot. So I even have a McDermott in there. At least he can move around and like create a shot. And this team, we, we got to stop talking about the Celtics. All right, by the way, no, we should though close on this. The Neesmith part of this, the Pritchard pick, everybody laughed about. He's going to play in the league a long time. But seeing some of the guys that went after Neesmith, I went through it. I think Neesmith did take a free throw today. In 14 of his games that he had played prior to this, he had taken free throws in two of them. I texted you in house. He had taken 47 shots and 38 of them were threes. It's like this modern 2021 player of these guys that are just like, Hey, what do you do for a living? I play basketball. I run to three spots on the court and I don't do anything else. And I have no basketball skills. And it seems like he actually is a skilled guy, but the way but that's not him, who he was at Vandy. Yeah. It's not. I mean, he actually had, he got to the free throw line like five times a game. I mean, he shot over 50% from three, which again is a little fluky because it was an absurd number. I, I think it was yeah. like 56% or something like that. But now when you watch him, he's not just limited. He's, he's very like, he, 
he's thinking too much. He had a rotation in Atlanta where he didn't take a three, and you're like, dude, that's the only shot you should right. be taking. And but so, that to me is an organizational failure as much as anything. Now, granted, it's COVID, miserable. It's hard to assimilate rookies. The schedule's weird. So I, I'm not going to write him off, but uh, all right, next one. You're out of excuses. Coach Bud. Coach Bud, are you out of excuses? Yeah, they don't get out of the second round. <laughs> they don't get out of the second round, what? Why are you making a face? You look tortured. Well, I, you know, everybody, I mean, this guy's just going to end up being because the Atlanta thing is against him, even though that Atlanta team won all those games and nobody thought they were actually going to win the East. So that somehow is a negative for him now. But considering what, I mean, they got smoked by the Heat. Now this last week plus, no Drew Holiday, the defensive numbers have been terrible, but they've looked lost. And maybe it's just they, a blip in the season. But, I, you know, bigger picture, this is about them getting to the finals again. They didn't do many favors with the roster. I'm going to say he he isn't out of excuses. Because if I'm him, I'm like, hey, man, is it my fault that Brooke Lopez is just turned into like a 31% three-point shooter who doesn't go near the basket anymore? And I've got Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine and fucking Bobby Portis. Like, Bobby Portis I, what, right what am I supposed him. to do? I know, but it's just a weird team. Uh, out of excuses, Stan Van Gundy. Fourth job. So the recap, or uh, started in Miami and... The entire Miami team basically got him fired and Riley had to come in. Goes to Orlando, takes him to the finals, gets a lot of credit for that. Then if you go back and you actually watch that series, he was some of the most abominable coaching we've had in the finals. Got a lot of credit for this inventive, you know, modern team that shot a lot of threes around a center. But I don't know what else that roster was supposed to do. His three best players were Turk Lou, Richard Lewis, and uh, Dwight. You got to play them all together. Uh, goes to Detroit, it's a complete debacle. Goes to the Pelicans, and it's a complete debacle. And today was like the first fun moment they've had. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is his last job. If it doesn't work out here, he's out of excuses. Well, I don't see how he gets a fifth head coaching job after this if it doesn't work out. Um, it's bad. It's bad down there because this is an incredible win, and maybe it can change some things around. But I watch them a lot because I like watching Zion. But... You know, the Adam-Zion pairing didn't make a ton of sense on paper. And the only thing I can think of is that they were so concerned with how terrible the rim defense was last year. They were like, hey, let's go get a big guy. But it it clogs you up so much that, you know, this league feels like, hey, you know what? Even if we're, we're kind of whatever on, on defense, let's make sure we're just open for our offensive players, especially if we have really skilled ones like Brandon Ingram and Zion. And the way the guards defended from the third quarter on when they came back, I don't think there should be any debate that it's Zoe and Hart closing games because of the way they played defensively today. Bledsoe's I, Jason Hart's one of my favorite random dudes in the league, and Stan always begrudgingly plays him in these Pelicans games. It's like, just put him out there. He's, he tries harder than everyone on your team. I, I don't know if they feel like there's a market for Bledsoe, but it feels like Bledsoe's already picked out another team. I'm just He's not sure which one it is yet. Yeah, And, I mean, he's taking like one free throw a game. So I, I don't know what you would do with him anymore. I like that they try to get Kyra Lewis in the mix, um, Alexander Walker, who I, I do still like. But they got better in this game today because they just opened it up and said, you know, what do we do? Like even Melly, who's not great, they put him in and then you didn't see Jackson Hayes, who if you have a ton of Jackson Hayes stock, you might want to yeah, call your sell broker. Sell his rookie cards. I'll tell you this, as a Celtics fan watching, when he went with Melly and Zion together, I was like, oh, fuck, he figured this out. 
this is bad. I hope I hope we see Hernan Gomez again or whoever. Like, uh, please, Willie or Wancho. You know, <laughs> Willie. It's Willie. Uh, <laughs> Good job. It, but they had Zion, Melly, and Hart out there, who's playing harder than anyone in either team. And then Ingram. And then Lonzo, and it was like, oh, shit. He actually figured out the right five to play. I wasn't surprised they were coming back. And then the Zion piece, god damn, is he a beast. It's unbelievable. Like, he is so fucking hard to... That play when he needed to bat, when we were texting back and forth, and it was like, oh, hero ball, Ingram three, or now if they're smart, they'll just go to Zion and have him barrel the basket. And then he took Thompson. It seemed like an offensive foul, but then they show the replay, and it's like, now he's just... He's just a freak. Like you kind of Thompson, have to move backwards. Thompson how about the look on his face? Times. Yeah, the look on his face is like, holy shit, did that just happen? I got to run me? over by an SUV. And then Zion had that other play when they threw him the pass on the left block, and he he kind of caught it and did this three sixty spin in the air layup as he as he caught the pass. He's unbelievable. I mean, he's honestly one of the six most fun guys to watch in the last five years. I'll change a channel when he's out and then come back. And then to come it, back. Depending on the TV rotation is playing out. And usually, like, you know, I'll stay on anything close in the fourth quarter. So they'll take him out sometimes in the fourth quarter to bring him back in, which, you know, sometimes he's rolling. And if the other team hasn't figured out, why give them the break from it? And I know everybody, NBA coaches are super regimented in their minutes and how they want to sub everybody out. And, you know, your eight man rotation to 10, depending on if you're good or bad or if you have guys you're trying to keep happy. Like, I get some of that stuff, but. He had a play in the Detroit game, I don't know, two weeks ago now. Josh Jackson had him on the left block, but extended out. So it wasn't just block, shoulder, turn. Yeah. Zion was far enough out where he had to beat Jackson off the dribble. He blew by him. Josh Jackson, okay, like a lithe perimeter yeah. guy who's pretty athletic. And he made him look like it was, you know, like, I mean, honestly, like it was he was like, like it, us. It was a, yeah, Zajunas Ogalskis was on him or something. I mean, he went right past him. So as I've seen them, they've even run some stuff with him where they let him just off the ball, like go ISO. And then the other big's like, holy shit, like I'm supposed to stay in front of this guy because his handle's really tight. His center of gravity is so low. His bounce is better he's than a anybody else. slash and kick passer too. That's the other thing. So when they went small, and because I actually like give Tristan credit. When I saw that lineup matchup at the beginning with Brad, I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And they did a good job with it, but it was also partly to New Orleans' own detriment. And I think there's been too many times where Ingram is always like the default out of timeout. Let's run the play for him because he's kind of like our guy. But the Zion bring the ball up, initiate your own offense thing, I haven't seen an answer for it yet. And if your answer's doubling, his passing is good enough that he's going to find the help. Well, I still needed an explanation for why they just don't go small with him. It's what we've been talking about forever. It's like, are they worried of... Because he doesn't rebound. And then maybe yeah, but he get destroyed. it kind of forces him to rebound though. Cause he's, I think, a weak rebounder, but now you're being like, hey man, you want to do this? It's gonna open things up for you offensively. You're gonna have to help us out with the rebounding. I think it'll actually make him better. Don't you think though that like it's not like they're going anywhere anyway? Really, the goal would be is Jackson Hayes is a defensive five stretch four on offense. You need a stretch. Are you, are you making fun? Are you are you provoking me right now? Is, is your next thing going to be they need to get Poku and Mo Bamba? How about Jackson Poku's? Hayes? I'm, I'm writing off Jackson Hayes. It's not happening for that dude. No, I'm not. I'm saying the theory of what, you know, they were probably what hoping he, was. he could be. Although he's more pick. like a rim running athletic you, guy. So you know? you're saying when you take somebody with an eighth pick, it's a theory? You're kind of praying? 
<laughs> he, How about Poku? I, a, Did you see the Poku highlight this weekend? Um, <laughs> Poku's the best. I, po- Poku hasn't had a free throw yet. On our draft stuff, I'm like, this guy gets real pissed when he doesn't get the ball back yeah. from the international games that I watched. And he was in a G League game where he was on the fucking bench and waved his hands up in the air like he was in the corner, the opposite corner. Oh, I thought the- he raised it. I in, in Poku's defense, which is rarely said, I thought he thought the guy was going to shoot a three, so he raised his hands because it was a nah, three. I think he you was don't think fucking so? with him. Um, Maybe. Anyway, I don't know. With, New or- with New Orleans, the one, one other thing with Zion, I just want to flag just to watch. And it's the same thing with Sabonis on Indiana. They have this play, and it has to be when the when you're inbounding from the side where they're on the left block, and they throw it to them like near the three point line, and then they send a guard and they pretend he's going to hand off, and then they just turn around and go to the basket hard, and it's the Sabonis go to play, and when New Orleans does it with Zion, it's like the play is on steroids and PEDs and caffeine, it's unstoppable. <laughs> I don't because you have to kind of respect the handoff. And then he turns and it's like, all right, well, good luck. That's nobody stopping this. And I, I just feel like they could run that play every game. Whenever anybody does from now on, the LeBron is an NFL player, because I almost sense that LeBron was like prepping us for how bored he's going to be once he retires, that he's going to go on first take and do a week of how many catches he would have each season with the Cowboys. And it's going to be LeBron as a Cowboy week. Zion as a defensive end would have been absurd <laughs> i'm serious his, the I'm center you. of gravity his weird I, you know maybe his arms won't measure out the way you'd want him to but his first step in center of gravity although i gotta love you percentage of health guy i heard you on with barkley which was great and everybody should check out thank you but would you put a you put an 85 90 percent on zion of where he was at athletically Duke, i gotta watch a duke game with you side by side with a zion game because i heard that in the car and i went so you think it's 70 percent oh you just don't like when i do percentages i don't say that i'm i dislike it i was he more explosive at duke yes or no i think he looked more explosive against college kids I just I can't. He, I can't fathom watching this version of Zion that we've seen in the last couple of weeks and being like, "Yeah, it's just a tick off, though." <laughs> Fair. That's what I, I can't believe. I, I'm going to walk back to take after what happened to that Celtics game today. Um, quickly, well, so out of excuses, Stan Van Gundy. If he, if, if this team, maybe this win saved their season. Who knows? But I think we both feel like there's some real issues here. Porzingis. Yeah, no, I think that's a good one. You're playing with one of the best five players in the league, dude. You're you've been in the league now how many years? He's in the MB draft or the year after? He was the year after. Yeah, he's in the D'Angelo Russell one. Right. I don't know. Can he stay in the court and put up a 24 and 10 every night? Is that too much to ask? I don't know if he's out of excuses yet, but he's definitely reaching deep. Um Yeah, but is this health based? Because I don't think he's been bad. This was a guy, it was the unicorn. I wrote the unicorn column and it was Embiid, Giannis, and Porzingis. And I had them all on the same level. And only two of them have survived. <laughs> and and from a Dallas standpoint, like if he doesn't go up a level, that, that team, what do you do? You kind of have no outs. It's a little, from a roster standpoint, you're just kind of screwed. Yeah, but considering um, what they gave up and everything, I mean, people couldn't believe the Knicks did what they did at the time. 
And Porzingis, it's just a availability thing, which is always going to be an issue for him forever. I, I don't think he sucks. I think we got sick of him being unhealthy, and then we just move on. I mean, this is the predictability of a a new player's potential star timeline is the most predictable thing that we do as fans in the media. Giannis is going to start facing it big time. It's already starting to happen to him a little bit where you're new, you're lovable, we hope you can be something we've never seen before, and then you aren't, and then you may not have the playoff success that you want, and then we're like, eh, all right, we're turning on you. I mean, Przingis has never had playoff failures to even have any of us get upset about, but I think it's all of us turning the page on him in a very predictable way that hasn't really had too much to do with necessarily what his game is. It's what his game isn't. He's just not healthy. He's 20 and five, 20.5 points, 8.2 rebounds a game. Uh, four, 35% from three. Leaves me a little cold. A little cold. A little, little cold. Leaves me a little cold. We're going to take a break and then we're going to, uh, Rousseau's going to complain about stuff. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we saved this for the C block. So I'm just going to give some background to the listeners. Um, you know, we're <laughs> we're grumpy older guys. You, me, and House and a couple others were on a text chain the other day. And it basically led to, should we be worried about the NBA? Should we be worried about what this product is? Or are we overreacting because we're just forgetting that the regular season is always pretty disappointing and the playoffs are way more fun. But the regular season is always choppy. Very rarely do you have like the playoff atmosphere, stuff like that. The case that we should be worried boils down to this. The uh, And it's not the player empowerment stuff. It's the actual quality of the product, which comes down to um, the resting and just the lack of cohesiveness across the board. The way the game is refereed, which um, with the diving and the guys jumping into each other, Ingram did it today. He did a three, kicked his left leg out. Um, just bullshit, you know, European soccer kind of stuff getting rewarded. 
And then most importantly, the the replay challenges and the fact that this continues to be a black hole for the league that is getting worse. It, they're not, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. They're reviewing more stuff than ever. The games are slower than ever. And yet they're still missing a whole bunch of shit. And you saw last night, Golden State and Charlotte, one of the worst one minute sequences I think I've ever seen in a basketball game. And then the Pelican Celtics game today was a complete mess. They called a double lane violation that led to a jump ball. There was another one where it was, it, they thought Kemba got fouled. The Celtics maintained the ball and they were like, oh, actually he didn't get fouled. It's now a jump ball. And the Celtics were like, wait, what did we do? We had the ball the whole time. Why do we have to give it up? They were mad because Tatum got the ball and said the challenge didn't come in until after Tatum was handed the ball by the officials. So that's why they're extra mad. That, that replay, that review, took over five real minutes. Right. We had five replay reviews down the stretch of a really, really fun, awesome Pelican Celtics game. And, and the, the Melly review, by the way, which went to the Celtics, which I think is a bullshit thing. For decades, we've been fine in basketball where if you're playing and somebody smashes the ball out of your hand, even though, you know, Mythbusters frame by frame camera work, you could see it off of your fingertip lat. But we've all operated okay. That no wars have ever broken out over the fact that like, hey, that guy it's, knocked it, the ball out of bounds. It yeah. may have been off of me technically, but you initiated everything on that. And I mean, I wonder, people playing pickup games now where somebody smashes the ball out of your hand on the baseline and then he goes, hey, that was probably off of you based on some of the reviews that let's we've seen Let's talk about it now. for the next five minutes and yeah, figure out what happened. Let's, if the NBA were in charge of, of the 100-meter of the dash, they would stop it at 90 meters and then ask to see if the start was good. And then they'd say, okay, it was good. Pick it right up from 90 meters on. We've eliminated... So much of the emotion, why any of us like the games or any games, it, like think about how bad this is at the end of close games where it just, it's dead. The product is flat at the end almost all the time now. And if you were telling me your pro review because the goal is, hey, and I've heard this forever, just get the play, get it right. That's yeah. why we want. So you're get against, it. you're against uh, getting it right. Get it is right that, then. Yeah. Then get it right. <laughs> well, how about, so there's a play in the game in the fourth quarter. Time Lord blocks Zion on a layup and they call goaltending on, on Time Lord. And then they show the replay and he blocked it before the ball hit the backboard. They thought it was backboard then Time Lord. They showed the replay and it's like, no, actually didn't. Oh man, that sucked. And guess what? We moved on and the game kept going. It cost the Celtics two points. It was okay. So we don't care if we're litigating that, but I have to watch a block charge for five minutes. I have to watch Melly jump over Jalen Brown's back to knock a ball out of bounds. And then they have to stop the game for five minutes because they have to figure out as he was bowling over Jalen Brown from behind, the ball might've hit Jalen Brown's fingertip. Like what the fuck are we doing? Either. Yeah. That ended up benefiting. That one benefited the Celtics though. And did, I didn't like that I'm call. Saying, I hated that call. But it, either make these games three and a half hours and just review everything. Well, or, or, just go back to where we were with the flow. And this is what we were talking about when we were watching all those Jordan games in, in April and May and June. And we were like, you know, it was really fun how the, the last quarter of the game, they just fucking played basketball and it didn't stop every two minutes. I think this is a real crisis. I think they're completely and utterly out of touch with what fans want. And, you know, I like I saw Adam go on the jump for the thousandth episode and he goes and gets his back scratch for 10 minutes about how great the league is. The league is not great. This is a real issue. Every fan I have in my life, this is something we talk about constantly. This is a real problem and they don't seem to give a shit. And I, I don't know why they don't want to fix it. If anything, it seems like there's more reviews than ever. 
the review thing is its own problem. Uh, the other thing that was so illuminating watching those 90s games, and I'm not talking about the game being better then because you know I think we've been saying it for years now. The shot making in this league is stupid. The shots yeah. guys can make. You know, Kyrie's a guy every now and then you're like, all right, am I appreciating this enough? You know, like Kyrie the most, have the, moments. The most coordinated player of all time. I've never seen a better small finisher. Iverson people come at me whenever I say it. I've been saying it for years. The the career at the rim, it's 61% for Kyrie. It's 57 for Iverson. Iverson had three peak years early on where he even hit 70% of his shots at the rim at one point. And you could say, hey, the league got smaller, so Iverson had bigger guys to deal with all the different kind of stuff. Kyrie's getting better and better. Kyrie's numbers are going up at the rim. And whether it's the coordination, it's the English, it's every single angle, it's either hand, it's just special. And there's so many guys in this league, even though I think you know the three-point barrage has led to a lot of guys being like, should I take my sixth three in the corner, even though I'm hitting 30% of these? Yeah, I have to, because that's the game now. Um, there's some special special ability that we've never seen before as people evolve, basketball players evolve, and it's packed. The depth of stars is incredible. Some of that can be a little false statistically, but I just don't understand how the people that are in charge of this league that you and I love, all right, we, we sound like we're bitching, but we're doing this almost as like, hey, do you guys not get this? That the secondary fan, the tertiary fan are like, man, I'm kind of sick of watching guys complain every fucking call, every right. call is a meeting that Lakers game when they lost uh, on Saturday night. And what was that? Was it uh, uh, the heat? The heat Lakers game. heat. Yeah. And even the announcers are like, man, the Lakers are like wearing these guys out. So it's the complaining. It's the reviews. But I think the most fixable thing, Bill, that I don't understand why they don't want to fix because they fixed it with other things. I actually think there's a little less flopping in the league than there was when we had just everybody diving in front of everybody and then falling down. The rip through was fixed where it was Kobe and it was Durant. Start the ball on one side. If your hands are down defensively, then rip through. But now we're letting players run into screens that don't even have the ball and fall down. We're giving them that call. The Trey Young stuff is well documented, but to have him just be side-by-side side with an offensive player and then bear, or a defensive player and barrel into him and then throw the ball up, um, why we let why, why we let some of the backup stuff, not just the crab dribble, but there's just all these calls. You go, hey, you know what you could do? You could just stop fucking calling all of it, and the player adapts. It's not the player's fault. It's that it's evolved to allow these, these plays to be – so the players pick up on them like, hey, look at this shit that I'm getting away with, and then everybody goes for it. I don't know why the league just doesn't get together and say we need to fix these things because it's gone too far the other way. Can you imagine in football if somebody was rushing the passer like JPP and the guy put his hands on him and JPP just died backwards and fell down? And then they started call, calling it on flags. And then it would be like him going back to the huddle, like basically laughing. This is the only sport other than soccer where people get away with bullshit stuff. And it just seems like everything is geared toward basically protecting the offensive guy, giving, allowing him to get more and more tricks. Even that stupid rule where it's like if the guy jumps to go block a three and he lands in the space, now that can be a foul. And we're moving people's abilities to just run out at shooters versus like, you know, the dangerous shit where some guys will actually act intentionally stick their foot under somebody's uh, motion as they're coming yeah, well, down. Like, by the way, the landing area thing wasn't a big deal for like 70 years until yeah. you started calling it when you can tell when a guy kicks his legs out or when he doesn't. So when you're saying we're doing this protect the shooter, you're like, OK, but you know what else you let happen? 
is now we're allowing two and a half steps, a gather and two steps backwards on a jumper, which was never what it was. It was two steps towards the basket. So you can carry, which is fine. You can travel again, which is fine. You can do all sorts of stuff. Like I'm not doing the, oh, you know, anytime I meet somebody, be like, oh, I hate that league. They travel all the time. You're like, whatever, dude. You know, like who gives a shit? I like that. But if you're allowing the shooter to have this, this landing area that he never really needed before, other than Bruce Bowen, and Zaza Pachulia, you know, like other than a, a few guys every every Who were decade. intentionally doing it. They were yeah. waiting for the guy to jump and then cre- getting as close as possible and putting them in danger. I get it. But now I, I don't I don't I'm, I'm just frustrated because I'm sure I watch probably as much as like you watch as much as anybody. And I'll have moments or games or just decided where all it is is. I'm tricking you, then you're going to trick me, and then I'm going to trick you. And then when I don't get the thing that I tried to trick because I got it 30 seconds ago, now I'm going to talk to the ref for a minute. And so I've already gone too long, and I sound negative. It's just that I care. It's that I care, and I wish the people that were in charge would say, hey, this isn't a good look. Let's start going back the other way. And if it's going to piss off some of the players for a little while, that's fine. But I don't really even blame the players because they're just doing how they're being officiated. I would, and then the default now is anytime somebody some sort of thing happens and the guy doesn't agree with it he turns to his bench and does the finger circle well, you, and, over his head if you have enough juice and depending like the coach will be like i probably have to review it because he's our best player yeah listen i know a lot of people in my life who love the nba not one of them likes this stuff that's my informal spit pole whatever you call when, it. when i see a writer defend this stuff i'll be like what what i'll be like why do you why do you like this you like this? <laughs> it's really weird. I, the last time I remember a real crisis with the league, and I remember this back when my fingers used to work and I could write columns, was the 06 playoffs. And the ref thing was completely out of control. This was, this was what the Dwayne Wade the, thing. It led right? to the famous thing. But before that series, I wrote about my big fear for the series was it was going to become the litmus test for this ref fiasco that was going on. And it was right because it was like, Shaq and Wade, two hardest guys to defend, to officiate in the league. And it basically, game to game, you could basically decide how to officiate them. And the other team will have no idea until the game's going on. And it's like, well, you could call everything against Shaq or nothing. Wade goes flying it all the time. And I, I had a bad feeling and it was borne out. It was a disaster. And they spent the next four years, especially after the Donahue thing, which was a year later, being like, we have to fix this. We have to get better. We have to have more accountability, all that stuff. And they they tried to do some good things. Now it's swung too far. And I think these guys over and over again just assume like, well, whatever call I make, it's it's probably going to get reviewed anyway. You know, it, it's to me, they, the refs seem more tentative and unsure of themselves. That Golden State Charlotte game last night. Now I know Mark Davis was the crew chief, probably my least favorite ref. Um, and then he had two guys with them who were brand new and they completely lo- fell apart, completely lost control of the game. That was an aberration. They, you don't normally see stuff that bad, but in general, it's just game to game watching these fourth quarters and, and knowing like there's three thirty left, honey, when can we leave? Well, we got to wait another 40 minutes. Cause it's these three and a half minutes are going to take 40 minutes between all the replay things. It fucking sucks and they need to fix it. I don't know what else to say. I don't know who's on the other side of this. I I don't know because there'll be people that listen to me like, oh, you know, it's not even an anti-player thing. It's just, remember when the the league tried to- The players are the best they've ever, they've been in 25 years. We have the most talent we've ever had since the Do you remember like 15 years ago when they were like, okay, we need to figure out a way to stop 
this complaining. And then he yeah. said, we're going to start finding it in technicals. And then I remember Chauncey getting one early and he was like, what? And it just, it didn't work. They gave up. They just, they just gave up. And so, I don't know. I, w- I would love to have Silver in an honest moment what he would think. Because I can't fathom a guy that's been around the league for decades would would disagree with anything we just said. But I don't think he can. At least not publicly. It's a league that has been resilient about fixing issues with the quality of play over the years, right? You Like when they added the three-point shot. Really smart move. In the... 2004 or five range when they changed some of the zone defense stuff, they changed some of the hand checking because they realized they were headed down a dark path with how the game was being played with some of those Pistons Pacers playoff games in the mid two thousands. They really did try to fix some of the officiating thing. I guess what we're both trying to say is this is a crisis (laughs) and I'm not a hyperbole guy. I'm really not. I really feel like there's something wrong here and I don't understand why they're not trying to fix it. So I, I don't really know what else to say. I don't, I, I love watching basketball as much as I ever have, except for the last four minutes of the games, which are more frustrating than they've ever been. So, yeah, which is supposed to be the whole reason we watch. Yeah, I enjoy first quarters more than fourth quarters now. Cause first quarter, it's like, oh, these guys are just playing fourth quarter becomes we're in a fucking courtroom. It's like a few good men. You bring in Colonel Jessup, Lieutenant Weinberg. Let's, let's just like fucking argue about shit. Yeah, but it's not even that because that was easy to figure out. It's like Judge Judy where you're like, she didn't pay rent, Judy. She didn't, Judy just doesn't like the vibe coming from the from the landlord because of some electricity stuff. And then Ju- Judy sides for the defense. And you're like, what? I'm okay with re- replay when it's like, was his foot on the line during that three? Well, we reviewed that during the commercial and we realized that three is actually a two. Um, did that shot come after the shot clock? Oh, we looked at that quick. If you can't figure it out in 20 seconds, fuck it. Like tennis, I was watching the Australian Open. Tennis figured out replay in the best possible way, and basketball has figured it out in the worst possible way, and that's all we should say. All right, uh, we're going to talk LeBron MVP. Take one more break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside LDA 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Viator. Traveling is all about getting out there and experiencing something new and fun. I had this when I went to Sweden last year. I had to go for Spotify, rolled the dice. I was going alone, had some work friends there. That's it. And I'm like, what's going to happen? Get there. Haven't been to Stockholm ever. Walking around, having a great time. Just just immersed myself in a totally different culture. Really memorable. I remember like a hundred different things about it. If you want to make your next trip memorable, you need Viator. It's a website and app that will help you book fun experiences and adventures all over the world. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences in over 190 countries, and it's flexible. They have free cancellation. 
They have various payment options, 24-7 service, and you can browse millions of reviews from real people so you can make sure you're booking the best adventure for you. They offer all kinds of adventures from simple walking tours to more extreme thrilling adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So that's one app that's over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Download the Viator app now. Use the code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. That's V-I-A-T-O-R with the number 10. All right, sorry, sorry we're very complaining here in this part of the podcast, but there's one other thing we want to rant about because this bothers both of us. Because I heard it today with, uh, with the uh, ABC crew talking about LeBron, or it was last night, Saturday night, uh, when Van Gundy and Jackson do the whole, how has LeBron not won the MVP in eight years? This is something we hear over and over again. It was the Russell people, Wilson thing this year. Yeah, people get really agitated that LeBron has won the MVP, and LeBron has, has you know, definitely poured some gasoline in the fire with it. And it's turned into this storyline that unless you actually, you know, do some homework and look up the facts, you can be like, wow, oh, that's crazy. How can he not be the MVP? This is, what, what, it's a conspiracy? What's going on here? Um, Russell and I are just going to go through the years because we never want to hear this again from announcers when, when we're watching a basketball game. So LeBron went back to back in 12 and 13. 2014, Durant wins the MVP. He had 119 of, of 125 first place votes. 32, seven and six. He averaged. 32 points, seven rebounds, six assists. He played 31, 22 minutes. His team was 59 and 23, even though Russ missed 36 games. LeBron was 27, seven and six. His team went 54 and 28. Nobody left that season thinking LeBron was the MVP. I'm mean, nobody rational, right? 2014, Durant. Do we have any issues with the Durant? No. I, no one was going, I can't believe Durant got this instead of LeBron at the time. Not one. So cross that up. There's year one. Year two, Curry. Curry wins, gets 100 of the 125 first place votes. His team went 67 and 15, was by far the best team in the league. He averaged per 36, 26, 9 and 5, shot 44% from three. He made a record 286 threes and was the fulcrum of this fucking awesome team that everybody loved. LeBron went to Cleveland year one, rocky year. Remember, he took a break at one point. 29 games. 25, 6, and 7, missed 13 games, 53 and 29. People didn't even think he was the second best player that year. Can we cross that year off? Are you okay with that? Yes. 2016, Curry was the unanimous MVP. They won 73 games. He averaged 35 and 7, 402 threes made, a record that will never be topped. Um, Kawhi was our second place finisher and LeBron was right behind him. Kawhi was second because the Spurs won 67. LeBron had a good season that year. He finished third, three votes behind uh, Kawhi, but his coach was fired halfway through the season. I'm pretty sure you can't win the MVP when your coach got fired halfway through the season. Are we okay Maybe you with can. Curry? <laughs> Maybe well, the, the problem, first of all, it's also Durant hadn't won one. So the media shifts into story time as quick as anyone. And then Curry is new on the scene at 26 and they have this remarkable run. And then he's way better the next year. So, you know, his win share that year was the highest in an eight year MVP run the second time he won MVP. So it was kind of one of those deals where because he had gotten the year before and you're like, what are they not going to give it to him then when people were wondering how many games they were going to win? Again, he was unanimous. 
2017 was the Westbrook versus Harden versus Kawhi. Russ ends up winning with the triple-double. Harden was 29-8-11, finished second. Kawhi had the advanced metrics case that year. And the Spurs were good. He finished third. LeBron was fourth. He averaged a 26-9-9 on a really good Cavs team that finished 51-31. and Are you okay with how that turned out? Obviously, Westbrook winning the MVP is absurd. But if it had been Harden, Kawhi, Russ, LeBron, whatever... Did you do you feel even four years later LeBron should have been in the top three that year? Yeah, I uh, that year I don't think LeBron was really even part of the discussion. Um, part of the story embracing because I can remember too each year, even though I don't have a vote, I can remember. Okay, this was the lead up to it. That was Durant left. People were mad at Durant. Westbrook stayed when people were trying to put Westbrook in a Lakers uniform, and he stayed. And it was like, hey, Westbrook gets it. He's our guy. Small town. He doesn't need anything else. And he's got a triple-double. But we were not as in tune to realizing how Westbrook's usage rate and absurdity led to a triple-double because he was still so athletic at 28. This game in the system, yeah. Yeah, we, did, we didn't really... He got us. He got us on that one. Didn't but he get didn't, me. I voted for him second. No, good for you. You brought it up a million times. And you deserve, there was a million and one right there. Right. But LeBron, the point is, is this hasn't, this wasn't a Westbrook shouldn't have won Harden or uh, uh, LeBron should have. He was not in the discussion. 2018, he finished second. James Harden finished first. Harden had 86 first place votes. LeBron had 15. Harden was 30 points, nine rebounds, five assists. Houston was 67 and 15. LeBron. Average 28, 9, and 9. And it was a weird Cavs team. A lot of trades. That was Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson. It was, Dwayne Wade was there for a while. It was just a revolving door. The Cavs were 50 and 32. So this is the first one we've said. So we're now in the fifth year where he didn't win the MVP. Where I'm willing to at least hear the case. I still feel like we left 18... Harden was the best player on the team. That was by far the best team. He was special offensively. And I'm still good with the MVP. Um, is there a case for LeBron this year? I don't personally think there is, but I, I'm willing to hear it. That team coasted. They were... I mean, they, That's how I felt. I'd love to give it to LeBron over Harden, trust me. But I don't think you can when it's a 67-win team and they were the only team trying to go with the Warriors. And that's this is where we mentioned this is a regular season award. It's a reward for the 82-game regular season. Although this year it's shorter. It's 72 games. But uh, you're just supposed to vote on who had the best regular season, who meant the most. You know, there's all these variables. Who meant the most to the to the to one of the best teams? I think Harden's should have won that year. I stand by it. 2019, LeBron went to the Lakers, basically took the year off. Giannis wins. We're, we don't even need to talk about that one. 2020, we talked about it a lot last year. Giannis had a huge lead. LeBron was catching up, and then the pandemic happened. Could LeBron have won the MVP if the season was four weeks longer? Yeah, probably. But it wasn't. I, I think he lost it because of the stop. Because he did. I remember it was our last normal pod and they had just played each other, and we were all over it, and you were starting to see um, voters talk about it, where 
it was going to be a let's get LeBron one more deal. And when they came back from the bubble, like all that momentum was gone. If it had been yeah. a normal regular season, I think there was a real sentimental vote. But there's a lot of people that are analytically based on this, too, that we probably don't see on TV as much that do have votes that would have looked at. I think so, there was all the numbers were like really impressive. And then there was one gap defensively there where you couldn't really keep LeBron in the same conversation as Giannis. And I'm not saying it was every defensive number. I think it was one specifically. And then, you know, if you really want to dig into it, you would say LeBron for good reason. Defensive matchup wise, you know, he's not exactly going after the top guy all 82 games because, you know, he doesn't need to and it's better to preserve him. Giannis was on the best team. He averaged 30, 14, and six. He won the defensive player of the year. He's probably not going to win it again. He probably won't. So, <laughs> which sounds, I know, ridiculous, but. He, uh, no, he's not getting it this year. It's not, people well, he's are not out there. It's not going to matter. Do you which, think it's LeBron this year right now? I think it's wide open. I think Embiid has a real chance and probably some other guy that we're not seeing yet. You, that we're not people, seeing yet? You think yeah, a third a of the way into the season, we're not sure? No, there's a bunch of people lurking. It's LeBron or Embiid. I think it's too early and to say that. I disagree. If, if you look at... I went through some of the plus minus stuff because um, I don't know it was KOC or, or who it, it might have been uh, Kirk Goldsberry who's doing some of the ratios of defensive impact and also offensive stuff overall. And LeBron, LeBron was like way over there. But I also wonder how that plays into defensive assignment. But if you go on some of just the plus minus stuff, LeBron's in a completely different category. But the only one that's even close to him is Steph. But he's like a point better in overall box score stuff than Steph is. And then there's a huge gap to even number three. So Embiid's got some work to do on that. The reason if I that say was what you were looking at. No, the reason I say it's open is there's still two-thirds of the season left, basically. Somebody could get hot for two weeks. LeBron could get hurt. Embiid could get hurt. Well, yes. I just, yes. There could be a kidnapping. Yeah, I'm saying uh, yeah, right sure. now it looks like those three, but I do th those two, but I do feel like there's five lurking. So basically our point is. We don't want to hear the thing of Ben about how ridiculous it is that he hasn't won because it's a regular season award. He's always cared about the titles and the playoffs more, and he's always conserved his body during certain stretches to try to win. Last year, he didn't. He went all out. This year, it seems like he's going all out, though. He did kind of take it easy last night. It's a lot um, like the Oscars because you'll sit there and think about somebody's career and you go, how the hell did so-and-so never Adrian win? Adrian Brody won the, won the Oscar? Yeah, right. it's what happens. But you go the totality of it. I think where LeBron is is more important, where he was the best player of that decade. And it didn't, you could say the MVPs, whatever, but he still was the best player of the decade. And I would say that's more important. Here is the one MVP that I think, if if you're going to do the LeBron MVP thing, the one that should be brought up is 2011, the first Miami season. That's the one where not only am I willing to hear a case for it, I actually regret how I voted. That's the one time... In the last, I don't know, I can't remember when I wrote my first MVP column, but that's that's the one vote where I just feel like I didn't vote correctly. Derrick Rose, got, you were hyped up. New kid, got hyped city, up on he's from Rose. Chicago. He means so much. He's so valuable. Don't throw those advanced metrics at me. They were He was the best player on the most important team. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, you know, Miami was a three-man team that year. LeBron was fucking incredible on both ends. Um, and he should have won five straight MVPs is how it should have played out. Yeah, He should have. It's the Rose story. Like, LeBron had gotten two, and then it's like, who else can we give it to? 
Like, well, he wasn't from winning Chicago. after the decision. He wasn't. People weren't going to vote for him. Here's the vote that year. Rose had a, 113 first place points. Uh, or first place votes. Dwight Howard had three. LeBron had four. Kobe had one. Those were your first place votes. Rose was like a landslide. And now I think if we had the numbers that we have now, because we had them then, but people didn't really use them the same way. There wasn't as much award shaming back then. I think LeBron wins. <laughs> I think I think LeBron, the, the victim culture thing with LeBron, people would have felt bad for him way early, earlier with the decision. We're being too mean to him. He was just trying to choose, you know. If the decision happens now, there's yeah. none of that. I mean, none very limited. I mean, obviously Cleveland was going to be upset because you're going to be upset when you're emotionally attached to your superstar and now your team doesn't have a good of a chance. But LeBron, historically, you'll go back and be like, that was ridiculous, the amount of shit that guy dealt with just for leaving in free agency. Well, here's the irony of this. LeBron sucked in the playoffs. He completely fell apart in the finals. So he beat, you know, when we talk about like, oh, this guy won the MVP and then his team sucked in the finals. I think retroactively 10 years later, either him or Wade should have won the MVP. The case for Wade would have been, he was just as important on that Miami team, maybe like 5% less, but was the one that convinced Bosch and LeBron to go there. Maybe we should have factored that in. Um, GM votes. So is yeah, Durant going to win MVP this year? Maybe, exactly, maybe, should, maybe that should factor to Durant's MVP case. Anyway, big picture point. If you're talking LeBron MVP, he won four. And if you're going to say he should have won another one, it's 2011. And I accept no other candidates. He was not the MVP last year. I'm sorry. He just wasn't. And whatever he might have in the playoffs. He, he, but see, the only thing you could say about last year is if you went by, and I just, we remember these conversations because we've had them for months leading up to it every time, yeah. whether it was your podcast or me doing a radio he show. He ran out of time. I can, it wasn't his I fault. can go through the historical like momentum behind each one of them. And the only one he's really even, I think, close on would have been last year because you could see the let's get another one. Because going back to the Curry ones, especially the second Curry year, it wasn't crazy in the moment to say, hey, Steph Curry's the best player in basketball. But yet there's a difference between who's having the best season and who's actually the best player. And that's why LeBron and those dudes who have his back took it so personal because they're like, look, do you actually think that that little dude could carry a franchise the way I could? And LeBron was right. And LeBron was right. I, I like Steph as much as anybody you're ever going to have on this podcast. We've been over it. But that was a moment where it was LeBron being pissed up. But again, like LeBron, you go to him be like, look, he had a better season than you did. He won the MVP. But the stature thing, the player of the decade deal that you keep bringing up, which is important, there have been like three second act reminders from LeBron, including this last run with the Lakers, where you go, you actually think there's another guy that's at my level? Like right. I started to do it with Giannis. I started to do it with Kawhi. And then by the time the whole thing comes around again, I'm like, why the hell would I ever really bank on anyone other than him? And that's why he's so scary again this season, even though they suck on offense and the Lakers can't shoot right now. And I thought LeBron on Saturday night was like just out of it. And I don't care. None of it matters. Because if he's healthy and it's the playoffs, nobody can carry a team like he can still, which is the craziest thing I've ever seen in this league that year 18, this is who he is. And that's why I think it's, he wins this year. It's the regular season MVP. Just got to remind people of that. It's not, it's not, hey, we voted for who the best per, the best player of basketball is this year. It's like, who is the most valuable player during the regular season? Are you going to bring this up to Breen when you have him on? It wasn't Breen. Are you going to bring it up to Mark Jackson? It was Van Gundy. Van Gundy was the maddest. I would love to argue about this with Van Gundy. I, I wish this was the case with movies where... Leo DiCaprio makes a movie 
and he's good in it, but he doesn't win the Best Actor Oscar. And then he has like 20 people in the media who are like, oh, Leo got boned over again. He's How has he only won one Best Actor? This guy, blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, this is just how it goes. We vote every year. I feel like LeBron's due then for a Revenant type deal here because that's what's going to happen. If you had Mark Jackson on, do you think he'd say, Bill, as great of a player as LeBron James is. He's an even better person. He's an even better human being. Mm. Uh, I want, you know what, from now on, that phrase, and it's not just Mark Jackson, until you're willing to say he's a great player, but kind of sucks as a dude. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like, unless yeah, unless you that, have one time that you're going to tell me, hey, this guy's pretty good from outside, but man, is he suck. Like, don't get a fucking house with this guy in the cave. Um, then I never want to hear, I never want to hear he's a great player followed by he's even a greater human being because there's no frame of reference. If we do it with everybody, then how special is that? And I'm not just talking about Mark Jackson. I'm saying anybody that, that co- coaches do it a lot in college, former coaches do it a lot. Like, oh, so-and-so and his lovely wife and on and on and on. I want to hear a guy go, hey, you know what? Good program, wife. Real pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, before we go, belated all-star stuff. I did some all-star stuff in here. I did not have Zach Levine on my all-star team. What? I have a whole Levine thing for you. Yeah. And, That's the and only so thing I want to do. I did all-star with KOC last week, and I put Drew Holiday on there. And now we're doing reserves, I think, Tuesday. And the one I would change is... Levine's good. I, he's been good offensively. I, I think he sneaks on as my 12th guy. If I had to do it over again, I would bump Holiday and put Levine on. And I know we've made fun of Levine as a good stats, bad team guy, but I do feel like over and over again this season, I've watched him go toe-to-toe with different really good players as like, okay, I'm the best player on my team and you're the best, and let's go toe-to-toe, and he's been able to do it. So he, I, he begrudgingly and belatedly kind of won me over, and I would put him on. Because the Bulls, the Bulls are frisky in these games, and they're a mess. Well, I don't think they're a mess anymore, though. I think at the beginning of the year, you know, first impressions are tough because there's so many of these teams that made those first impressions. We were so excited to watch anything, you know, for us that they're that into it. And the Bulls look like, oh my god, you know, they're going to win a game, and they're basically a 500 team. And Kobe White's been better. You know, they've missed marketing for half the season. They're closing well, the window. Mean, I meant they're a mess. Like they, they don't, they can't seem to keep all of their guys on the roster that they care about. Like, Markkanen's been out for a while now. Wendell Carter was out earlier. So on and so on. Like, we just haven't seen their full team. Thad Young's I, I put great. him on. I feel like Thad Young is, like, not... I don't He's only like 22. can trade for him. Yeah, there's there's room to grow there with Thaddeus. Uh, look, Zach Levine, and it's fair. He was a, a horrible decision-maker earlier in his career. You want to talk about first impressions? Yeah. To then he was a bad decision-maker. And then he was big stats... Didn't really mean anything. He's a different guy this year. He is. The stats bear it out. The decision-making bears it out. I don't know that he's a plus on defense, but the effort, the want to, is different. And I'm telling you, he has stretches where I throw them on. And whatever the first tier of shot-making ability is, he's in it. He is now. I mean, the three-point shooting is... You know, there are times in the past, I'm like, okay, he's shooting it better than he ever has before. 38% to 43%. Here's what I love. Long twos, granted, his rookie years a while ago, just a year in college. Long twos were 30% of his shot selection, his rookie year. Wow. Speaking of just like, it, whenever you watch a Minnesota, you're like, dude, do you realize like there's other guys that have been playing in the league a couple of years? Only 10% of his shots now are long twos. There's still going to be that decision 
where you wish it were a little bit better. You know, they were up a couple possessions two nights ago. I think 124 left on the clock, 14 left on the shot clock, so still some time to burn. He takes a long three off a screen, and you're like, man, you know, it wasn't a great shot. You didn't run the shot clock down. There's still going to be little moments in that, but the rest of it is such an improvement for him. And the the East is so muddled in the middle. I don't care. There are a couple games under 500. I put Zach on it because I really think when he's going right now, he's actually one of the scariest players in the league offensively. I, I actually think that's that's how much I think of him now because I'll admit it took me a long time to buy in. But he's he's just that much better this year. He is. It's not like I'm late to the party on this, but the shot making is impressive, but it's way more efficient than it's ever been. I'd like to apologize to Kevin O'Connor. He was on this train early, and I mocked him. Um, oh, eesh. Bulls are the Bulls are a nine seed right now. Thanks for leaving but, me off the All Star thing, though. I actually, I'm not being sarcastic. No, I, I know you don't like that stuff. That's yeah. why I got somebody else. I know, Thanks. I know it bothers you and the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, the the Bulls, the Bulls are somehow two games behind the Celtics, the team that needs to trade for Thad Young to help their roster. Why, why wouldn't the Bulls just? Keep that young and maybe make a move of their own. I, I'm in on Levine. I apologize. Um, the other one is, I mentioned, I gave my theory last week about Mike Conley, that I think it's better for him if he doesn't make the all-star team and he goes down in immortality as every time we mention the best guy in the league at this point who hasn't made an all-star team yet, we go, it's like Mike Conley. And he's just, his name gets to live on a hundred years later. I don't want him to make the all-star team. I would rather he had that title. Where do you stand on Mike Conley being an all-star? Because it's somehow become the most important all-star conversation. Um, didn't he have like the, by far the best plus minus in the league? Sure. I is, And they were the best team in the but league. But he's, he's going to make it over Mitchell? Like that's absurd. He can't make it over Mitchell. Gobert and Mitchell have to make it. So basically if Conley makes it, you have to have three jazz on the all-star team. That's the only way he makes it. Is there another and, guard? And Who are the doing, other guards? Who are the other reserves? <laughs> and we, we'd only be doing it because people feel bad for Mike Conley. That would be the reason. Uh, <laughs> so we would have Dame. I guess the bench would be Dame, Davis, Paul George, Gobert, Zion, Mitchell. And then you're telling me Mike Conley should basically get it over Chris Paul. I don't know how Chris Paul doesn't make the All-Star team. He has to be in the All-Star team. He has team. to make the All-Star He has to. So He's Mike Conley, you're out. I'm sorry. Team. But you, but you have something better than an all-spar spot. You have immortality. You're always going to be mentioned. It's like, oh, man, it's like when Mike Conley never made it. It's much Somebody better won't this play, way. by the way. Somebody's going to call him sick And then Mike Conley will get in deal. anyway. Yeah, yeah, he's going to get in. Yeah. Like, by the way, I think, by the way, every, every like, 75% of the comments I've heard on this are, like, guys being like, I don't want to go. Yeah, when you said somebody is going to not play, did you mean all 24 guys? <laughs> uh, all right, MVP watch before we go. So you have LeBron one and B two, and then a drop off to a murky list of guys who are kind of lingering, sort of. Yeah, Westbrook can keep this up. <laughs> I'm kidding. D- Dame. Portland's Port- good. Does Portland anybody realize like, that Portland's good? <laughs> if Portland finishes as like a four seed, and they're how many games are we playing? Seventy two. So if they're, I don't know, forty five and twenty seven. I don't know. Dame would have to be in the mix. Chris Haynes made this case on my pod on Thursday. I thought it was really good. I was jealous of it. So yeah, okay, but to win it, to win it, or to just be that mentioned? he should be mentioned in the conversation. <laughs> okay, Barkley had Donovan Mitchell in there. I'll just I'll say like my favorite shutdown of any like 
What are you asking for this person to be win it or to be mentioned more and to make sure they lose? Like, I don't, I don't well, get you it. asked like, me who else. I said there was a list right under Embiid and LeBron who was in it. I just gave you Dame Lillard as a possibility. I'm going to give you Steph Curry. I'll give you Jokic. I don't think we can rule out Luka yet because I still think he could average 39 a game for three weeks and Dallas could win 10 in a row. And I don't think is we, we neither of us think Giannis is going to win, but I can't rule out a dude who does the stuff Giannis does every Giannis year. fatigue is the biggest thing against him. To say he's never going to win one is harsh. Uh, but I thought after Curry won the second one and they blew the 3-1 lead, I was like, I don't think he's ever going to win one again. Because um, mm. then you have to, after you've already won one, you have to be the best player in the league and you have to have another season where you're going to be the best. And you kind of felt like Golden State was always going to kind of, and look, they, they went after it with more intensity in the final season before Durant than they did when they got Durant. So, um, no, I don't think your list is wrong. We haven't mentioned anyone from the Nets. And that's going to be a mistake if this team keeps rolling. So that they go in the murky list. Yeah. One of those dudes, maybe Harden. All right. All right last thing. I didn't run this by you. You don't even know we we're doing this. The Sports Whisperer. It's a new segment. It's where we make a fan base feel better about things. Okay. Today we're going to pick Minnesota, who just fired their coach, Ryan Saunders. Yeah. Not a lot of happy times for the T-Wolves over the last, uh, how many years? Almost 30? Like 27, 28? Made one conference finals. Uh, they do not never make the playoffs. They had David Kahn. It's an endless list. I thought we'd end the podcast with saying some things that could make Minnesota fans better. I'll start. Anthony Edwards is fun. I like watching him. I don't know what he's going to turn out to be, but I think it's a fun pick. Should they take it LaMelo? Probably. Should they take it Wiseman? Probably. But I do enjoy Anthony Edwards. I don't know what he ends up being. Could he be a guy that averages 25 points a game, two assists and three rebounds and has three dunks a game and his team never wins? Probably. But I like the way he carries himself. I and I think he's incredibly athletic and there's enough weightish potential with him, Dwayne Wade-ish, that... Uh, you know, at least he's not a bust. So I'm going to start there. That's my first thing that makes Timberwolves fans feel better about themselves. I know it's going to sound nuts, but I've actually liked the way they played the last couple of weeks. Oh, there's Far another one. Okay. So, yeah. Um, okay. We're up to two things. Yeah. I didn't love the end of the Toronto game either. Um, Beasley took a contested three that even the announcers are like, uh, probably could have got better look there. <laughs> uh, Rubio got mad at, Jared Vanderbilt, I think. No, 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 no. It was uh, it was McDaniel's the kid, the rookie from yeah. Washington who took like a weird shot. Rubio got pissed at guys get pissed at each other a lot at the end of the, some of these games. But I do think they've actually, if you're a T Bulls fan right now, you are in agreement that they played a little bit harder. But this is bubbling for a while. Uh, the Saunders part of it is a problem. Um, I think Gerson is probably in some trouble there too. Perhaps the the problem is right now, Bill. This isn't making T Wolves fans feel better. Unless, okay. Um, yeah, you know, I like Jared Vanderbilt negative. a bit. I, I liked uh, some of the Jarrett Culver off the ball cuts earlier this season. Can I give you another one? Yeah. I think I think Nas Reed's is Nas Reed will have a moment on a on a playoff team at some point in his career. <laughs> I'm gonna give you one more. Malik Beasley, like pretty good contract. For a yeah, score. I'll, tradable. I'll give- I'll give you that one. I'm going to give you another one. Six points tonight, 30 I think they have a chance to maybe keep their first round pick next year. I think they could be one of the, you know, finish in the top three. I I think it's something to... Here's another thing I tell you. 
you think you're the worst team in the league, you're in the West, brother. Yeah. You would you would smash the Pistons in a seven-game Yeah, series. you'd be like the fifth West worst team in the East. Uh, I'll give you another one. Although, I don't know. The Pistons get up for big games. So. They, they, they're big game hunters. Uh, here's another one that will make Minnesota fans feel better. I do think at some point somebody's going to completely overpay for Carl Anthony Towns. And it might be the right thing for the franchise. You know, trade him for like seven first-round picks and swaps. You do one of those trades with a team that's panicking. And maybe that's a good reset button for you. So I got to tell you, when I, I watch Towns, when did he start running like he's been playing 20 years? He doesn't look like a 25-year-old guy. No. Yeah. I no. He needs, he needs like a, like when they have those makeovers, he needs like a basketball game makeover. I wish he would just have four consultants to be like, hey, you realize you're kind of unstoppable when you go in the block, right? He doesn't want to do that because he's such I a know. good shooter. Uh, look, I mean, Carl Anthony. Hey, listen, Towns. we're not making Minnesota fans feel better. I do think they could trade. They could trade him for a lot. Um, here's another thing that might make him feel better. So I guess Sacramento is on their corner with who feels worse about their NBA team for the last 20 years, right? It's it's those yeah. two. Yeah. Unlike Sacramento, unlike Sacramento, Minnesota never blew a chance to take Luka Doncic. They don't have that hanging over them. How do you feel about your Bagley stock? He was busting his ass the other night. I'm not saying it's working, but he was he was there was some effort there. I would I would have already traded for him. I'd have him and Markin in, and my team would be going give me nowhere. Your, but I'd be so excited. <laughs> give me your top five reasonably Mach, obtainable Mach Celtics one. wish. Mach one. Give, give me <laughs> give me five guys. You'd be like, yep, Aaron Mark, Gordon, Markin, Markin. Okay. Mar Markkinen's one. And it's, not, and it's not because he's a white guy, right? No, I think they he's <laughs> not fair. I think they need a scoring, like one more score. I'm just looking at who are attainable scores who can create a shot for themselves. Markkinen. What would you uh, give up for Vooch? Would you give up Neesmith? <laughs> Straight up? <laughs> I, I wish they could get Thad Young. I love that guy. But I think he's like almost borderline untradeable for the Bulls. He's he's like their unsung hero in these games. Um, he look, I've I've waited on Thad Young way too long, way too long. He's been in the league like nine years. He's been um, around. I think it's longer than that, dude. I think it's like 12. I'm out on I'm out on Gordon. I'm out on uh, on Fournier, DeRozan. No. What about Mo Bamba? Would you talk yourself into Mo Bamba for a week? I I would for the comedy. But I don't think he would make a big difference on. I kind of want the, the Celtics, Celtics to get Mobamba just to watch Celtics bloggers be like, okay. But if you actually look at his per thirty six, well, he was the sixth pick. Um, so we're out of things to make Minnesota fans feel nice about themselves. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think they're winning twenty six percent of their games. I, I've watched, I've watched the close of four or five of their more recent games. I go, they're playing better. I do think they were playing better. They just weren't winning enough. I couldn't come up with anything else. Uh, Have you watched than, Jared Vanderbilt? I kind of like some of his energy. He's okay. We're the not Rubio, ending with a bang here. The Rubio, the Rubio piece of it, not great. Yeah, tough, but I'll admit one. at tough times one. it's a hell of a lot better than D'Angelo Russell making your decisions or Anthony Edwards. Like they had that one game where I think it went to overtime and out of the timeout, like Rubio was doing a really good job dissecting the defense and then they ran pick and roll with Edwards Towns and, and look, Edwards three almost went down. 
Is there a rule change, by the way, that every last second shot attempt has to be a three? Has to. It has to be, right? They I sent an that. internal memo to everybody. Game's tied. Has to be a step back three. Or it doesn't count. Let's end with this. I'm going to give you my Celtics panic meter for heading into the week. I'm an eight out of ten right now. Eight, eight is high, but they're not very good. They're 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 a 500 team, 30 games in. My dad said casually in a conversation, like at some point Tatum's not going to want to stay for this, and I was like, "What? <laughs> really? Like hit home? I just want to root for Tatum and Jalen for the next 10 years. I don't want that to get screwed up." All I right. like Time Lord lately. Hey, can we come up with since we're back on this, we've got to come up with with something, you know, where it's there's no gym corner anymore. There's no. There's no Game of Thrones. See, when you pan- pandemic corner, I have nothing. There's nothing interesting. I don't have anything. If you knew how much basketball I was watching here, when I sent you guys videos of G League stuff, I was watching. I was like, "Don't send this to him." It's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. I think I think you should do. Can you do the thing you did for me when we were talking the other day about other parent corner? About how your life your life's actually super normal compared to the people that have been stuck with their kids for a year. That'd be fun. But That'd it's be just, a fun way to end it. Other it's just not quarter. that. It's just not that interesting. It, it's really, it's pretty monotonous. I've left once in a year. You know, it's the same thing over and over again. Which you know, I've I've tried not to complain this whole time because I know that I don't have it. You know, I but know you, there's, there's far bigger things to complain about. But you you have a theory that people who are stuck with young children that there there's a whole new level of drinking going on. Yes, my. Because my buddies were like, are you getting after it? I was like, no. Like, there's nothing to do. Yeah. You don't understand. And then a couple of the circle of friends that I have that work in sports, like, I can't hang out with them. Right? So, like, if somebody's with a team, they're not going to hang out with me to jeopardize the team side of it. If somebody's in the media, you know, it'll be like infrequent in or out of season things. So, it's been nothing. I, I wake up. I either tape the pod three or four days of taping each morning. I work out in the garage. I'll, I'll go down. You're like I'm Desmond and re- Lost. You're just like changing, <laughs> changing the clock every day. Just changing the clock every day. You know, reading. You should just get all canned goods. Make it seem like, like you're stuck in your house. I did do that when everybody was big on that. Like everybody had a cousin from the Pentagon. I missed those times. Right. Yeah. Like get cash, water, and as much kerosene as you can. <laughs> and so um, we, we have less experts tied into the Pentagon's thinking now but uh i just don't think i don't think but yeah so my friends were like we're drinking all the time i'm like tell me about it what's going on and like i have pockets of friends in different neighborhoods where basically they've just decided from a social aspect that they were they were like look we gotta we're just this is our crew and if that means a couple tequilas on a tuesday again who who are we hurting right so they're having like garage parties and you get in the yard but like one guy passed out in the wife's shoe closet like during the week. And so he got reprimanded a little bit and he's a good guy. I mean, he's got his shit together, but he was like, yeah, he goes, you know, we started playing drinking games and next thing you know, we realize it's like Wednesday at eight and it's not Friday at midnight. And you're like, Whoa, I gotta, I gotta still function here. So, um, I don't have anything really interesting to say though. So I, I don't think my, my corner would be, well, that's why I said it was other parent corner. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Secondhand stories about parents. Yeah. You just told one. Yeah. yeah. I do. I do feel like the people with the young kids are starting to unravel a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's 
Big time. I mean, we are now hitting, we're now in month 12. Because I just think it's tough to months. get divorced during the pandemic. But once everything's settled and you're on the other side of it, it's going to be like, hey, can you, remember, can you imagine resentment corner? We could have people write in and be like, I couldn't bring this up in February, but. Well, it's going to be like when we read about the swinging 20s when we were growing up. Man, that seemed crazy. What was going on there? Did everybody I, just kind of lost it for a couple of years? I think that is going to be what happens when we come out of this pandemic. Like, I've man, always been enamored remember, with remember the 20s. Tw- remember 20, remember yeah. the 2021 and 2022? Man, we were fucking on one those two years. I love that you brought up the 20s because I'm obsessed with that era. I have different time travel eras that I'd like to like get into. Oh, this is and, good, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could do time travel corner where we make an argument to time travel to a certain time. All right, let's, we'll do that next time. Because if you pick something too old, you know, just can't show up in a hoodie and some rag and bone jeans and expect to walk through Cheyenne in 1890. Be like, who's this fucking guy? I think summer of 77 in New York would have been really fun. Just a lot of shit going on. I'll make the Son case for next time we do this. All right. I like this. All time travel things. corner. Time travel like corner it. next week. Get Done. some, uh, hit, hit Rosillo's Twitter if you have some suggestions. He still looks at his replies. Uh, Rosillo, you're doing podcasts Tuesday Barely. and Thursday. Tuesday and Thursday, yeah. Unless you get hired to coach the Timberwolves. Um, I don't think probably the team would listen to me. Probably not happening. That's it for the podcast. Don't forget about the Rewatchables Monday night doing Neighbors. And then I am back here on Tuesday and again on Thursday. See you later in the week. This episode is brought to you by Ugg. Y'all know Ugg is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think Ugg season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from Ugg. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.